Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by 90min and sponsored by our friends at ProPrep. I'm Scott Saunders, joined once again by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. Remember to subscribe to our show. We're on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter. You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised Land MU. Rob, how are you doing? It's the holiday season, and uh, United have had a break. So, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, I always think we're, uh, these uh, these COVID times are strange for us in this industry. It's uh, it's difficult to schedule work and to be able to do stuff when we're, we're so uncertain about where we're going with games. But we've just heard, obviously, that as things stands, that the Premier League will be running. Games will continue over Christmas. So we've all got to be on our game, Scott. You know, still, we're still going. No, no Christmas holidays for us in this business. And, uh, and hopefully we'll get some football in the next few days. Fingers crossed. But United have had an actual break uh, for Christmas. I know they've had a lot of uh, COVID cases in camp, but I remember looking at the Christmas schedule for United before uh, the games were called off. And I was like, well, yeah, I think they got about nine days off over Christmas until they play against Newcastle on the 27th. And it just so turns out that a couple of games have been uh, postponed due to the cases in camp before that. But, you know, we don't want to get you down about COVID and that kind of stuff on this podcast today. We're going to look at um, 2021 because it is that time of year. Um, you know, it's the last couple of weeks of the year. So we'll look back uh, at how United have evolved and changed uh, from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to Ralph Ranić, the transition uh, we'll answer some questions that we're going to ask ourselves. And we're going to look at some players in particular who might have had a, a breakout year, a you know, a break year for them at United or whatever. Um, there's many different senses we can look at here. Um, we can talk about your article that you wrote for us, Rob, um, on uh, Welcome to World Class, Bruno Fernandes. Uh, if you haven't read that already, you can go to 90min.com forward slash W2WC. Um, be sure to check that out. We are um, managing to... I don't want to say upset, but um, get people involved uh, quite frequently. And that series runs until Christmas Eve. Uh, in the second half of the show, we'll look at some incomings and outgoings in January and through next year. So, you know, we'll talk about potential arrivals in January. We'll talk about what Ralph has to do to the squad. Is it a case of more departures than incomings because the squad's bloated? You know, there's a lot of players in there who are out of contract, high profile players as well. So we will see how United go. Um, but where should we start, Rob? Let's, let's, let's have a look back, shall we, um, at 2021, because United have not won a trophy this year. Uh, they came close in the Europa League final, losing on penalties to Villarreal uh, after a certain David De Gea missed his penalty. Well, that was such a weird game, wasn't it? That was honestly such a weird game. It was, and they haven't really come close at all, but do you think that would have changed anything? If, they, if, they'd have, if that spot kick from De Gea had gone in and then the the next Villarreal play at the step up would have missed. Would that have changed anything? No, no. And this is why I always say about winning trophies sometimes is a little bit mythical on the journey of rebuilding a club or getting to you to where you want to go. Now, of course, the game is about winning a trophy. That's what you want to do. 
But I don't think that if United have won that Europa League final against Villarreal, that United would have been a good football team this year. Why? Because the, the issues still prevail. They still remain. You know, you still got the same problems. And it's the problems that end up losing you your job or taking you down the division. So um, it would have been great to win that final. But, and I've said before, maybe a little bit arrogantly, I don't really get out of bed for the Europa League. And the reason for that is it's not really part of our objectives at Manchester United. There's two trophies that we're really interested in, the Premier League and the Champions League. That's kind of what we look for, maybe the FA Cup as a sidestep. But no, I, I don't think that had United won that game, which I think Solskjaer got badly wrong in terms of his selection and substitutes. I think that the kind of touchline coaching had a big impact on that football match. I just don't think if United had won that, really big vase, as I call it, because I've seen it in real life. And it is be great for like, I don't know, Gladioli. You like or, it. Do you like the trophy? Um, do you know what I like? I think it's a very unique trophy and it's very heavy, but you know, I don't, I, as far as trophies go. I think it's, it's one right. of the nicer ones. I think it's, it's, one it's, it's kind of, yeah. It's, and do you know what? It's this historical one, isn't it? And I think that's the thing like uh, about the Champions League as well is just, you know, the, the old biggies, you know, it's, it's a kind of historical cup that is embedded in people's minds, you know, when you think about a tournament or, or football. So I think the, I, I still call it the UEFA Cup when I see it, because it is the UEFA it Cup. It is the UEFA That's, Cup, isn't it? It's so much yeah. better as the UEFA Cup. Totally. You know, the Europa League, and now you've got the Europa Conference League and this, that, and the other. And that. As, as I said, I just think that if you're in these tournaments, you're in the final, then of course you want to win it. But, you know, is this really what Manchester United are all about? I don't, think so so I think with Ole had he got that right it would have been a good bit of rhetoric to sell to fans and say look we've won a trophy we're on our way but I never thought of it like that I always thought that we need to see consistency on a pitch in the Premier League and that was what was always going to judge Ole's tenure that was what was going to give us the direction and of course what happened this year it all fell apart and it fell apart on the football pitch through coaching through results and we got to the point now where we have a new manager for 2022 Funnily enough, you mentioned the coaching there, and it's not something that we've actually got in the notes, but obviously Ollie's left, Michael Carrick has left, and Kieran McKenna uh, and Martin Pert, I think, have gone to Ipswich Town. So um, what, what do you think that says about United and the fact that you know, Kieran McKenna was criticised for being relatively junior, and he obviously can't help that, but when you're in charge of a, a club with expectations of size that United have, and then you end up leaving to go to a lower league club like Ipswich, does that not signify in a sense that United were really, really punching below their weight in, in a coaching sense? Not not at all, because I think with coaches, the, it, it, if you're seemed and deemed as someone who can manage as well, coaching and management are two things that are linked, but are also very, very separate. Someone like Kieran McKenna has had a huge reputation in the game really for about 10 years. He is still very young. But he's always had people advocate for him and say that he's good. So I think going to Ipswich Town is a promotion. It really is. You know, when you're managing uh, a sleeping giant there in League One and you're no longer just the guy that, <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds a little bit backwards, but, you know, putting the cones out at Carrington, that's not really his job. You know, he's always been thought of as a tactical mind. And that's why Ipswich have gone for him. So, you know, now you wait and see. Because if he does well at Ipswich, let's be honest, if he does well at Ipswich for a year or two, Every club in the top flight are gonna, is, is going to want Kieran McKenna at their football club, where either as a coach or as part of maybe as an assistant manager or something as an elevated status. 
Uh, you might even see him back at Old Trafford one day. But I think fans are down on him and Michael Carrick, obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Mike Freeland doesn't do any coaching, so you know it's not worth talking about in this context. That was interesting, uh, by the way, uh, Ralph coming out and effectively yeah. and, and saying, confirming that he doesn't do anything. What I like about Ralph is that he's just kind of shoots from the hip and is very straight. He's not over the top. He's not dramatic. He's not trying to, you know, get hits and clicks. He's not trying to push his own um, reputation. He's just being straight. Michael Phelan has not done any coaching at United ever since he came back. He did very little before. Even in the end of the Fergie days, he was he was on the training pitch, but that was a long time ago. So I think it was good that he just he not revealed that, but but just said it straight and just said, you know, this guy doesn't do the coaching with me. But Kieran McKenna did. And United wanted McKenna to stay and they wanted Carrick to stay. But both of those guys, I think, being loyal to Solskjaer as well, felt that their time had come and gone and it was time to go and do something different. So how do you feel the transition? I know we haven't really seen too much of Ralph's United yet, but how do you feel the transition has, has started so far? What is... What's the most important thing or like important measurement of like progress that you've seen under Ralph so far? I think the most important thing so far is the 30 minutes against Crystal Palace, because I think that shows intention. So even though it was just 30 minutes in the first half and you win the game by a slim margin, it showed United fans what Ralph Rannick is all about. One of the things I spoke about after the game was that how difficult it will be to transition to play that style of football consistently, not just because it's high energy, but just because of the tactical implications for players to tell them what you want to do. Now, obviously, we've had these cancellations with postponements with COVID and whatnot. So we have to wait and see. But I must admit, I'm a little bit worried from being high that we were getting a pressing coach something that I wanted to see tactically someone who maybe is closer to Guardiola and Klopp in terms of the curve than say Solskjaer is this United team going to be able to do it and 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 I do worry about that and I worry about Ronaldo I worry about Bruno I worry about the senior pieces at Man United not really the kids it's the big players you know Marcus Rashford you know can you get the most out of these players by telling them to go and set traps and do all of those, do all that, all that hard work, all that graft. Now, in theory, the answer should be yes. You know, in theory, these guys should be able to do all of these things. They're not unfit. They're not bad players. It's just that can they play Ranić's style? Can they play the counter press? It's a wait and see, Scott. It really is. And I, fingers crossed. I'm sat here actually talking to you with my fingers crossed, just naturally, just in front of my microphone, because I'm just not sure. And it could blow up and we could be going six, seven, eight, nine games into the new year and thinking, this is not going to work. He's an interim. He's gone at the end of the season. You know, let's not even talk about giving him players because it just doesn't fit United's squad. Or do you stick with Ranić and do you start moving players on? Now, that's the least likely scenario. I don't think that will happen. I think United will sell their bigger players simply to accommodate a a fashionable style of football because that is partly what it is as well. United want to win at all costs and that's all they care about. You know, if it's regressive football or progressive football, I don't think really Ed Woodward and the Glazers care about that stuff. They just care about results and winning. So let's see. And I hope with Ranjik, he is the coach that I wanted at United and this is the style of football I want to see at United. But it's not necessarily means that I'm right and it doesn't mean it will be successful. 
It's just a wait and see. Let's see if the guy can put all this together. You know, you just said there about COVID. You know, I, I have this kind of dream scenario in my head that Ranik sat down with the guys on Zoom this week and said, right, we're not in a training ground. So here's your homework. This is what we've got coming up. I want you to look at these videotapes because it's what Ranik's about. It's about reviewing video and making all of that work. And I hope that that's what would have happened in the last week or two. I certainly don't think the guys are all sat there at home on their Xboxes going, oh, we've got a COVID break, so we're not doing anything. I can see that Ranjit will be a progressive style coach making these guys think even when they're not on a football pitch. You would hope that that's the case, wouldn't you? Um, you know, it's been it's been a long time off, but I know that Ollie was uh, one to give his players holidays here and there. Uh, there was a particular episode a few weeks ago that we did around uh, them taking a bit of time off after or in the middle of being in an awful run of uh, form uh, and results. But I'm going to ask you this one, Rob. We'll, we'll talk about um, potential outgoings in the second half of the show. So stay tuned for that. But are United in a better position now than this time last year? How, how do you feel about that? I feel that if this works with Ranić, then the unerring answer to that 100% is yes, we're in a better place. Um, I wanted it to work with Ole, you know, I really did. And I thought that there were baby steps over that two, three year period. We saw progress, but then progress would stall. We'd see players do well, have good moments of form, but then maybe regress a little bit more. You know, how do you kind of get out of that cycle of being average? And I think that was something that Ole didn't really find the answer to. And I think that's ultimately why he went. I think Ranić tactically has a much bigger ceiling and he just has a bigger brain. He's a bigger brain than anyone at Manchester United. You're bringing in someone with an acute football intelligence and you're telling him, here's the keys to the kingdom, go and make it work. Open doors, find ways for players to become better. So that's why I feel a little bit uneasy because we're going into 2022 with you know missing one or two games because of COVID. There's still a good chance that if government regulations change that you lose more games, it becomes a tighter schedule. But there's a little bit inside of me thinking, well, if Ranić is this brain that we think he is and that we know he is, is he still making things work behind the scenes? It's just that you and me can't decide that because we don't see it. So we have to see it on a football pitch. So uh, I think United could be in a better place, but I don't want it to be temporary, Scott. I don't want United to be doing what they've done with manager after manager after manager as having small lifts in form, winning games, fans being happy again because you're not losing and not addressing the elephants in the room. And the elephant in the room at Man United always has been, is that the project has been a squashed one from board level. It's been a poor project, hasn't it? For eight, nine years, they've constantly, you know, spent 1.2, 1.3 billion on players. And yet we could sit here over eight, nine years and not really name any of them because they're that bad. You know, they've been bad signings, you know? So I, I think that they're in a better position than maybe at many of those points in the eight or nine years, but... It is a wait and see. Ranić must prove it on a football pitch. And I'm not 100% convinced that all of these top players that United have will completely buy into his methods. Um, that is a kind of turns my stomach a little bit. So saying it out loud, because I'm thinking to myself, you know, we have got great players. It's just that can you make it work? And it's a le let's wait and see. There is a lot of change. Well, depends how you really think of it, but a, a lot of change possibly coming uh, at United quite soon. I think Richard Arnold's new role will be confirmed officially. Uh, if it's not been 
confirmed by the time you hear this. Um, it, the chances are it will have been, but um, we're expecting that just before Christmas um, or maybe just after before the start of 2022. Will that change anything? Ed Woodward set to stay on in a cons- cons- consultancy role. Will that really change anything? We don't know, but United are going a different direction. Uh, and I think back to this time last year, maybe in mid-December where United had just got knocked out of the Champions League. You know, things weren't going too well. There was noise from Mino Raiola about Paul Pogba um, and a bunch of other things going on really that really took away from stuff on the pitch and it wasn't really going that well at that point either. But they did end up managing to come second in the league uh, under Solskjaer. So it did end up, I wouldn't say it was a good result in the end because I think if you're not first, you're nowhere really uh, for, for a club like United. But, you know, it, it did seem like there was progress from the end of December. But, you know, obviously that was a false position in the end. You know, Liverpool are back, Manchester City are back. Uh, Chelsea, despite their recent slump, are looking better than they were at this time last year as well. Uh, and Tottenham as well gave Liverpool a good game the other day. Um, really good game, that, by the way. I don't know if you watched it, Rob. It was, uh, it was very Premier League. It was very fun. Um, Let's uh, just look back. You mentioned a few players there and how you were a bit concerned with whether they get on board with a new project. You wrote a piece for us uh, for our Welcome to World Class series on 90 Min about Bruno Fernandes. Could you just talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, I think it's um, Bruno over the last six months and maybe even just more in the last few weeks, been quite an interesting guy to discuss because I think the consensus and opinion, both from United fans and, and wider football fans, has swung wildly over him. Certainly from maybe, say, United in that run last year to come in second in the Premier League and getting to a Europa League final to maybe the end days of Solskjaer. And I think that Bruno's been pivotal in that and people have questioned, I think rightfully, you know, where does he stand now? Is he world-class or is he not? Is he the guy that United need to go forward? Or or is he just been, you know, a flash in the pan? Uh, when we did the article there for uh, for the segment for, for 90 Min, I think that when you look at the figures and you look at the numbers for Bruno Fernandes, his contributions are outstanding. You know, you, you, if, if you looked at United a year ago or 18 months ago, you'd have said that's exactly the kind of player who produces that numbers that United need. And he's a leader. He's pretty fierce. He's pretty demanding. And he has all of those characteristics of a top class player, someone that you need at your club to kind of be the fuel of the fire so we, we, uh, I did the article and kind of dug deep on the stats. And, and to me, there's no doubt at all that he is a world-class player. But how do you get the form out of someone? How do you get someone being optimum all the time? It's like Ronaldo. It's a Ronaldo question as well. You know, I get told all the time, you don't like Ronaldo, Rob. You're always down on Ronaldo. And I'm like, I'm so not. He's got all the numbers. The numbers are there. Ronaldo is world-class. You cannot take away someone who scored 800 goals. But is he what you need? today and tomorrow I think with Bruno the answer to that is yes I still think with Bruno Fernandes there's a lot more to come from Bruno I've written in the past to how I would like to see him developed as a false nine I can see him being Firmino but on like rocket fuel I could see him being better than Firmino what Firmino does at Liverpool and of course uh, Robert Firmino has been a huge success at Liverpool ever since he signed come from the from the Bundesliga but I still think with Bruno there's still plenty more to come and I think that in terms of his leadership, United need to mould around him in terms of players who can also be leaders. It can't just be about Bruno or it can't just be about Harry Maguire. It can't just be about maybe the three or four 
you know, de facto leaders that you have in your dressing room. You've got to start adding players who who can take responsibility themselves. So that's really what the article is about. And I hope, guys, if you want to read it, you can obviously also go on my socials as well. It's all there. You can you can click on the links and and have a good read of it and and give give me your feedback on what you think of the article and whether you think Bruno is world class. But I think the stats say that he is. This is now Ranić's question. Can you find a way of implementing a gag and pressing style system in the Premier League with Bruno Fernandes? I think the answer is yes, but it's up to all of them to buy in. And that's how Bruno will be a success or a failure. You can indeed check out Welcome to World Class uh, from 90min uh, at 90min.com forward slash W2WC. We've got a bunch of guest uh, writers as well. I think we've got uh, Julian Laurent coming up uh, in the next few days, which would be quite cool. Uh, on Kylian Mbappe and Karim Benzema, I think. Uh, so it doesn't only uh, focus on Manchester United, but Rob has uh, kindly participated in the series as well. And we've got um, other players featuring, I'm sure Cristiano Ronaldo will feature um, when we get to his position. Uh, Luke Shaw, a bit of debate around him uh, this week as well. Raphael Varane, a bit of debate about him. So you can go and check that out. Uh, we're doing votes each day on the 90min underscore football Twitter social channel. So you can get involved there. Um, it's a good area for debate, but um, you know, it's good fun. We've been doing it for a few years now, and I think this is the biggest it's ever been. Um, Rob, um, you did actually take a bit of not offense, but you did challenge me on the fact that David De Gea didn't make it in. Uh, and we would I would like to talk about breakout standout years for anyone in particular. And I think you have to really talk about David De Gea. It's not really been a breakout year because he's obviously been one of the best players at the club. Uh, at certain periods for a long time. But after a bit of a lull in form, he has seemed to recapture his best this year. Absolutely. And I think with David De Gea, you know, when you look at his age, you know, he's coming out of his 20s into his early 30s. Let's not be kind of strange about this. Goalkeepers mature late. Goalkeepers hit their best years in their 30s. That's the way it is. And it's very rare that you get a goalkeeper like David De Gea, who was so good at 18, 19, 20, and was on that kind of steep development curve. Uh, and of course, we know what De Gea has done, you know, multiple time player of the season for Manchester United, best goalkeeper in the world, I think, for a period. I think now when you look at him, and obviously the challenge of Dean Henderson that he's had, you know, with, between the sticks at Carrington every day, training with this guy who wants his place, desperately trying to displace him and take his his jersey and become the number one at United. You've seen with David De Gea that he's risen to that challenge. And, and for me now, going forward, it's about whether De Gea can be stylistically the goalkeeper United needs, which is a sweeper keeper, because that's what all modern systems need. Can he be that guy that can do it with the ball at his feet? I think United fans, again, would say the answer to that is no. But again, we talk to people who've trained with De Gea, people who've worked with him. Everyone says that he's much better with his feet than, than he's given credit. I've watched De Gea do drills with my own eyes and thought, that guy's actually got good feet. It's just the way United play out from the back quite often. I think it exposes him and also exposes Maguire and Lindorf in those moments because they're, they're not the quickest. And United try and play this silly little tippy-tappy out the back style. And I think that was on Solskjaer. I think we might see something a bit quicker now out the back because of Ranić. And I think that will benefit De Gea. So I think he deserves his plaudits this year because I think without David De Gea this season, I think Manchester United would be out of the top 10. You know, I think they would be free-falling towards, dare I say, the relegation zone. That's how important this goalkeeper has been to Manchester United this season. 
De Gea has uh, he's been in good form. I don't think it's you can. The fans of other clubs will always say that he will never really reach the kind of form that he did um, a few years ago. Remember, I was at that game at Arsenal. You know that famous like three-one win where I think I was I was in the in the in the crowd and he saved like fifteen shots on target or something like that, and it was mm-hmm. just insane. Uh, that was the height of his powers. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, there's any other players really stand out for you? I just wanted to say on De Gea actually. Um, there was a moment in one of the recent games where he actually did come and sweep a ball that was played through uh, and he beat an attacker to it. And I literally stood back in amazement. I was like, oh my God, he can do that. I can't believe it. I've never seen it before. Um, I don't know whether you have any comment on that before we move on. No, do, do, do you know what as well? It's, you know, we talk about players' attributes. It's so important that the coach teases all the other bits out of a player. So yes, a player might be good again about one or two, three things. So for instance, goalkeepers, what they're supposed to be good at saving the ball positionally wise you know making sure they look after their goal and 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 not uh and not allow the angles to to be against them i think with david de Gea, you saw that in the opening gambits of playing under ranik that he is playing as a sweeper keeper he's on the edge of his box and he's participating with his defenders with the ball at feet and there was one pass i saw i think even in the palace match where he got the ball and he looked up and he just clipped the perfect pass into the left wing position over the midfield. Now, if you've got a goalkeeper that can do that three or four or five times in a match, you're on it. That's exactly what counter-pressing is about. It's about being able to get the ball back in the danger area as quick as you can. And De Gea can do that. So, again, for him, it's a it's a case, I think, with working with Ranić now and teasing out his other skill set because I think he's a better passer of the ball than he's ever been given credit for. I just think that when you look at Solskjaer, you look at Van Gaal, you look at Mourinho. These are all coaches that played very static defence styles out from the back. And De Gea was part of that. It was like, yeah, De Gea, go and stand on your line and save the ball, which to his credit, he has done quite well over the years. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll <coughs> just look at a few other players. Maybe Luke Shaw has been a weird one. I think he was incredible up until the end of the Euro, scored in the Euro 2020 final for England. Um, but he's just seen, seemingly lost his way this season. We'll see if he gets back in. I know he's had a few issues with concussion and injury um, and form just generally this season so far, but hopefully he can get back in under Ralph Ranić. Uh, it's been a... More looking at the last few weeks, it's been an important few moments for the likes of Zidane Iqbal and, you know, Charlie Savage. They both came on uh, in the Champions League and made a debut, Iqbal in particular, so... A big moment for him and for the community. Um, and there was one other player I was going to mention there. Anthony Alanga as well has seemingly got a few more minutes. And with the potential outgoings that are on the horizon, maybe more more first team action can come for him. Hannibal has also been capped at international level frequently, quite recently as well. So could it be a suggestion that a few of these players will get their chances moving forward on the horizon? Yes, because that's the Ranić way. You know, Ranić has spoken extensively about his thoughts on youth and how you motivate players on their first contracts rather than players who are on their last contracts. So all those players you mentioned, they're all prodigious young talents. Um, Oligan Solskjaer did give more young players their their dues, their, their debuts into the team than any of the previous managers before him but it didn't feel like it, did it? You know, we got to the end of the project with Solskjaer and it felt a bit flat. You were like, well, 
you know, no one's really broken through recently. You know, are they really that good? What happened to the likes of Angel Gomez and players like that, players we had big high hopes for? I think this next class of of youngster coming through, you know, you just mentioned there's a Dan Savage um, and also Hannibal. These players have got it, you know, Ansi Alange, he's got it. You know, they, they are players who I think that if you they went out on loan tomorrow, that they would perform and they would do well at, at a relatively high level. So for Ranić, it's now been able to find a way to push their buttons to take them to the next level. This is the problem as well. Like Ranić being here for only six months or being an interim coach, you have to say to him, right, well, you know, do you worry too much about long term? Are you looking at development? But I think that's the Ranić way. I think that's the only way he knows how to do it. Is that if young players are going to run for him and they've got talent. He will give them chances. So I think we'll see more of that. And certainly with the games being more condensed because of COVID and expected postponements. And, you know, I just think rather than playing one game a week, you're going to be playing two games a week for the whole season. It means that these youngsters are going to get minutes and we're going to see hopefully something surprising from young talent that maybe United fans are not so familiar with. Attention parents and students. We have an incredible exclusive offer from our friends at ProPrep. This is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules. It can halve your study time. ProPrep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device at any time. It has already helped over 500,000 students pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions, so you'll be ready. You can even submit questions to the ProPrep professors and receive a video answer within 24 hours. ProPrep created a special offer just for our listeners. And all you need to do is go to their website, proprep.uk slash info slash football for more information. And our listeners can sign up for a free a free. 30-day trial now, no credit card information required. That's proprep.uk slash info slash football pro prep, the ultimate study tool. Rob, let's look ahead to 2022. Uh, I don't know how long we've been going here for yet, but we can we can go all day on this because there's a ton of players that their futures are now up in the air. You know, we're, we're looking at Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba, out of contract. I think Juan Mata might be out of contract in the summer as well. No real suggestions at the moment that any contract is on the horizon for any of them. I think Jesse Lingard has made it clear that he wants to stay for the rest of the season. And I do think that you can check out on 90min.com uh, in the last few days that I think he, if he was to leave United, I think he wants to go abroad. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him. But, you know, there's a lot of Obviously, Ralph has come in. There's a lot of uh, speculation over incomings. Amadou Haidara. Uh, there's, a, I think, Boubacar Kamara from Marseille has been linked as well. United do or have needed a defensive midfielder, a central midfielder, uh, to bolst, bolster the ranks in that area because, you know, Nemanja Matic has played quite well at times, but has he really got the legs anymore? And I did see Juan Mata actually playing a midfield two in the Champions League the other day, and I thought, I can't be... I can't really be seeing that too much more. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, <coughs> let's look at um, before we get to before we get to outgoings because I think there's a lot more of them. What can we expect any incomings in January? Because Hydara has been linked. I mean, there's a potential weakness at right back if you look at Wambasaka Dallo. Although Dallo has you know 
started to emerge in recent weeks or recent games under Ranić, you know, but or do players need to go out first before United go and address areas of areas to strengthen you know can you can you expect any players to come in in January or even in the summer if you want to look that broadly I think they will I think they'll definitely bring players in January and that's not something that I say every season I think in this case with United it's because there is still trophies to go out there and win there really is so yes the Premier League title run the something we expected this season or wanted to see under Solskjaer is over there's no chance that Manchester United no matter how well they play are catching a Liverpool form in this team or a Manchester City form in this team. And even Chelsea are not particularly playing well at the moment, but are still ahead of United in terms of the curve. But I think with Ranić, you know, I think the Champions League is on. Once you're into the knockouts, you know, you're, it, it's game on. You know, the FA Cup is about to start, obviously, in January. It's game on. These trophies are there to be won if you can find a significant uptick in form. And I think the story of that, of pushing the form, will be adding players. So I don't think that in terms of the outgoings, the it will be like for like. So I don't think if you get rid of a striker, you're bringing in a striker. Or if you get rid of a defender, you're bringing in a defender. I think it's more about wants and needs. And there are certainly players on the cusp of the United squad who, who might not be United players come two or three weeks' time. You know, I think Anthony Marshall is one of them. I think uh, Jesse Lingard... His future his lies away at, away from Manchester United now. And also Edison Cavani. And I think Cavani is a, a player that has been incredibly popular at United because of the style of play that he does and the way he scores goals. But I do think that if you've got a player like him on 200 grand a week and he's injured every other week and he's 34 and he's got a short-term contract, there is some logic in moving him away and moving other players away so you can go and buy. So you just mentioned two midfielders there. Uh, I, I just think that that is the problem position for United. If they want to play 4-2-2-2 or they want to play 4-3-3, you've got to go and sort your midfield out. And that's not a slant at McFred. It's not a slant at those guys who do all the running. It's more about options, about making sure you've got options in the press because it's a tiring role. So you need to bring in players who've got energy and you can do that. But then you've got all these forwards, haven't you? You've got to service, you've got to service Bruno, you've got to service Ronaldo, you've got to service Marcus, you've got to service Mason. There's plenty up top for United to score goals. But as I always call it, you've got to join the dots. And I think that's what this transfer window will do. And I think that he will be, I think Ranit will be given the checkbook to go and find those players. It just might not be the fashionable players that United fans want. It might be someone that, they've never heard of from league uh, or Serie A player. And they're like, well, why has he come from that club? They're 10th in Serie A, but Ranić wants him. Ranić has a unique scouting system in the Red Bull style. He knows the type of play he wants all across the world. He's got scouts everywhere. And that's another big positive about bringing Ranić to Manchester United, that he will bring the right players in, not necessarily the shirt sellers. I think that's the most important thing. And that's the direction that I think... United will end up going in. We did speak before we started recording about what, which direction you think United will go in. I mean, you look at the likes of Declan Rice and and we, we've done a, a section on Declan Rice in a recent episode as well. Uh, Erling Haaland's another one, but they are going to come with 70 to 90 million pound transfer fees. And United have tried that. You know, Paul Pogba's out of contract. He costs 90 million, uh, 89 million. Uh, a few years ago, six years ago, 
five and a half, six years ago. And can you really argue that it's worked out for him? If, if anything, it just seems like, you know, I've been trying to throw a lot of money at a lot of like big, well-established players and just fit them into this puzzle that they've never been able to fix themselves and just thought, with the with Ranjit coming in, it just seems to me that they're they're just accepting that that method isn't really working anymore, and they're going to try something different. So, if we are to get a player coming in in January or the summer, I, I do really expect, and maybe there'll be one of those big signings in the summer, but I do really expect that they'll be looking at you know players with reputations who don't you know not elite reputations, more players who Ranjit can come in and develop that maybe he knows that have the right energy and that have the right attitude. And that kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll see. But it's, it's a big mystery at the moment, really, because United have kept their cards close to their chest, as you said earlier, Rob. And we don't really know. I mean, you you could possibly see pass through from the youth team for a number of players that we mentioned uh, just before we cut to the break. Uh, you know, Elanga is getting a lot of chances. There's, a, there's other players as well. Hannibal, we think, could fill one of those slots moving forward. What about the outgoings? Because I'm not sure I understand. That is my Siri uh, Apple Watch. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it just said, I'm not sure I understand. So I'm hoping that you understand. I don't know if you whether you picked that up or not. But let's look at the outgoings, Rob. Um, and one by one as well. We touched on them briefly, but Jesse Lingard to start with. Now, United tried to get him, or he decided last summer that he wanted to stay at United. I think West Ham were interested in him, but he ended up turning the move down. He wanted to try and fight for his place. And the suggestions are that for the rest of his contract, he would like to continue to do the same. But do you think there's no... You, you don't see him extending his contract now, do you? Whatever happens. No, I don't. And and I think it was quite interesting because there was at one stage where Jesse Lingard took on major representation in terms of his agency to find a way out of United, to find new markets as a social media star, as a footballer, go to another club and have an impact... All of these things are about the brand. And obviously he went to West Ham last year and was brilliant. Let's be honest. He went to West Ham. He's one of the, the best players in the Premier League for the second half of the season. Uh, he, he had a stellar time there in East London. And he's come back to Manchester United. And what's he done? Sat on the bench. Done nothing. Zero. So you've taken one of the best players in the Premier League only a few months ago. And you've turned him into bench fodder. So Jesse Lingard is gone. I don't think there's any chance that he stays. Uh, he's a United fan. I'm sure he would love for it to have worked out at, at Old Trafford. But I think his path is elsewhere. And there's a number of players as well who are like that, as we've said. You know, But I just think with, with Jesse, it's not really about if he's good or not. It's about him getting minutes. And if you don't give him minutes, he's the kind of player I think you just have to let go. It's weird though, isn't it? Because I think everybody saw that coming when he came back and United decided not to cash in on him <laughs> and sell him. It was... It was an odd move from United. And I, I'm hoping that maybe this is one thing that Ranit can bring in the sense that he, he's talked about before not really working with bloated squads. And United do have a bloated squad. Maybe he's looking for a smaller group of players to get the best out of because there's, there's probably about 30 players there who really are looking for first-team football, you know? Yeah, I, I think Ole wanted a harmonious camp. And to be fair, he did have that, you know, he'd, he'd, ma he'd man managed the players into a sense of feeling confident in his methods and confident that they would, they would play. And I think Jesse Lingard was part of that. Jesse went away and he wanted to give it one more shot at United. And I think the reason for that was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but Ole's gone now. And when Ole was here, 
it didn't work out, did it? You know, it wasn't that Jesse Lingard was getting any increased minutes or moments on the football pitch. So I think sometimes with football clubs, it's also about balancing the books. And if you sell Jesse Lingard for 20 or 30 million, say at the end of his West Ham spell, can you replace that player for that price in the current marketplace? So I think United looked at it like that and they looked at Jesse Lingard and thought, well, Jesse Lingard's kind of the player we'd go and buy. If he was doing well at West Ham and scoring these goals and showing he's got influence and leadership, we might want a player like that. Oh, yeah, he's already our player. But what happened? It stalled because I think, again, United just didn't have a good rotation. Solskjaer's tactics didn't really suit that. It didn't really kind of help United move the squad forward. And there is such a number of players we could talk about. Like We've not even mentioned Donny van der Beek yet. You know, these are players who are talented, but have literally got zero minutes at United over a kind of six-month period. And you have to ask yourself, will a new manager ever come in and say, yeah, these players are useless, I'm going to get rid of them? Or is a new manager going to come in and say, how come you haven't done this with this talent? I think it might be a bit of both. I think you'll find that that the Lingards will probably leave, but you might find that someone like Van der Beek finds a place in a, in a pressing style, uh, either as a number six or as a number eight. And it could surprise United fans to just see someone do something different with different tactics. Paul Pogba is also out of contract, as we mentioned earlier in the summer. I, he's currently injured, but hopefully he'll be back relatively soon. We will see whether he actually fits into this uh, new Ranić style. I think it's an interesting dynamic there, but you know, I think there's probably a lot of clubs interested in him. But with the the fact that he comes with Mino Raiola and a big uh, a big payoff for someone like him when he's going to be trying to flog Erling Haaland across Europe this summer as well. I don't know where his options really lie. I don't think it's the end of the road necessarily for Pogba, but maybe he could turn around and sign a new deal. But what do you think? Yeah, no spoilers and no in the know kind of journalism from me. But it's always been open that Paul Pogba will sign a new deal if United give him the contract. He's told the club that for 18 months. And the feedback has been that Manchester United are the party that are not sure. So in the press and obviously in social media and everything else, it gets sold that it's Pogba and Raiola looking for moves. And Raiola's job is to do that, is to look out for his client and find clubs that match his client's ambitions. But Pogba told United a year ago that he would sign, just give me the contract. But United are looking at the wage bill. That's that's the bigger question here. You've just given 50 million to a guy called Cristiano Ronaldo in wages for two years. That compromises everything. That means you have to think about whether you give Cavani his 200 grand a week. That means you have to think about whether you give uh, Pogba an increased deal that makes him maybe the highest paid player in the Premier League, maybe on a par with Ronaldo. That would be, would that be value? I'd probably say no. Um, and then you look at the kind of, as we said, the wider squad, you look at someone like Jesse Lingard, who is a high earner, but it's not giving you anything, you know? So you've got to find answers to all of these questions. That's up to the board to do that. It's not up to Ralph Ranick. But United are, are in that, I think, that vacuum at the moment of trying to find out where there is value and where there isn't and move players on. So I think that will be the bigger question about Paul Pogba, not whether he can play 4-2-2-2 or 4-3-3. Paul Pogba can play those systems standing on his head. He's done it. He's won World Cups doing it. He can play those systems. But do United want to really pay him 450 grand a week to do it? Do United really want to put big bonuses in his contract? That means that if you win the Premier League, you've got to go and give most of that prize money to three or four or five players. 
that's a bigger business question for United. And that's something that we cannot answer. I'm going to fire three more players at you. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up pretty soon, Rob, and then we'll see if uh, there's any uh, passing comments that we want to make before we leave. But Dean Henderson, interesting. Uh, now, United have made really no secret that they'd like to keep him, but that's not the dominant factor here, I don't think. Dean Henderson came back to United, what, 18 months ago now, and has made no secret of wanting to take the number one spot uh, from David De Gea. So it's interesting, but is that going to happen? I can't really see it happening, no. can you? So what no, will happen? No. what will happen with his future in January? Well, this all goes to the same point that we just talked about. So we talked about wages. Dean Henderson was given a huge contract um, last season. And they were, he was given a huge contract to kind of stave off interested clubs. There was a number of teams that, that were looking at him and trying to find a way to get Dean Henderson out of, out of Old Trafford. Now, what's happened? De Gea's form has gone through the roof. Henderson has stopped playing completely. You know, he's obviously going to feature in cup games. But do you keep a player on a huge deal like that? You've got to remember, Dean Henson signed one of the biggest goalkeeping contracts of all time, of all time, when he took that deal to stay at United. Are you keeping that guy on the bench? I think the reality is that, that Henderson is not going to play second fiddle to anyone and that he needs to play. So he's either going to go on loan in the next six months and we won't see a lot of him at Manchester United. And then you might find that he goes to, I don't know, or Watford, or somewhere like that, or an even or a mid-table team has an incredible six months. And what are we doing? We're having the Jesse Lingard question again. Someone who's played fantastically well from United. Is he going to get minutes at Manchester United if he came back? But I think there's also the chance here that United might cash in. You know, if you could get 40 or 50 million for him, and that's also why they gave him that contract, because it it kind of solidifies the transfer fee. Um, if they did that and moved him on, then that would go towards buying players would you rather have um united's goalkeeping backing that they have now seconds to De Gea with heaton and, and goalkeepers like that and get rid of henderson and get for 40 or 50 million and then go and buy a midfielder for 40 or 50 million so these are the questions i think that we we will see answered in maybe just in january because i do think dean henderson will leave the football club in the next few weeks what about edinson cavani I, I think also with Cavani, he will leave. And the reason why he will leave is that when he signed his contract, it was pre-Ronaldo. So the idea was, you're the number seven, you've done quite well, uh, the fans really like you, we can use you to sell products at Manchester United, it makes everyone happy, you stay, uh, you're happy, we're happy, let's get on with it, let's play football. What's happened? He lost his shirt number, he's certainly no longer the elder statesman, of course he still does well when he comes on the football pitch but his injuries are a problem. And I think that when you've got a guy who was a, an elite high earner, you know, kind of 200 to 250 a week, that's a lot of money to pay for someone who might not play. You know, if you're starting two in a 4-2-2-2 is Rashford and Ronaldo, it's a lot of money for a substitute, isn't it? So, you know, you, you want to give that money, those moments to Alanga. You want to say to someone like Alanga, you're the guy who's going to get 20 minutes at the end of games. Oh, and you're on a smaller deal. Oh, and you're more cost of value. Oh, you, and you're more motivated because you're at the start of your career. Those things meet the Ranić targets more than Cavani. Cavani, of course, can play a pressing style. We know this and he'd be good at it. But I also think that the Barcelona, Barcelona do want him and there is interest still from South America. And I think that those are two options that he would be very, very interested in as it stands. 
Barcelona doing their classic Barcelona shopping for the likes of 34-year-old Cavani, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has just been stripped of the Arsenal captaincy. They already have Luke de Jong in there. Uh, what a fall. You know, we, we, <laughs> it's been such a weird thing to watch over the last few years. It shows as well that how capitalism is linked to success in football. It really does. So if you get your money wrong, you get your numbers wrong, you spend on the wrong things, it has a catastrophic effect on the football pitch. So that's what's happened at Barcelona. They are they are bankrupt. They have, you know, they, they talked, uh, Riola talked the other day about Barcelona when he was talking about Haaland and he was saying it would only take a year or two for Barcelona to become the economic power that they, they once were. That's not true. You know, looking at Barcelona's debts, it might take them 30 or 40 years to pay that money off. It's a long-term high-energy debt. It's not like Manchester United's debt with the Glazers, which is kind of structured around profit. So I think when you look at those players, someone like Cavani is obviously your Aguero replacement. Somebody who's going to come in, short-term, high-wage, high-impact. Can you give the team something? And of course, someone like Cavani, I think, would, would have a great time in La Liga. It would fit him. He'd be a hero there. They'd love his style of football. But Barcelona as itself, as an entity, has fallen. And I don't know if they can even go and get someone like Aubameyang. Aubameyang's on a huge contract, one of the biggest in the Premier League. Can they pay him that money? Or would they have to say to Aubameyang, yeah, you're going to take a a pay dip to come to uh, Catalonia? That might be the case. I can't see too many footballers doing that, just giving their wages away just so they can wear that shirt in Barcelona. Uh, Man City's Ferran Torres has been lined up as one of their main targets and it does actually seem as though that could happen from what both Rob and I have heard. Um, be interesting, an interesting dynamic because how does that, why would Man City sell a player of age 21, 22? I don't know whether you want to get into that now, Rob, or whether we should save it for another time. But oh, We'll touch, we'll touch on it very quickly because I think it is interesting. It does have an impact on Manchester United. So obviously Haaland has been linked to Manchester City and Manchester City do not have a number nine, but they don't play a number nine system. They've played a false nine all season long. And my tip for fancy league this year was Ferran Torres because he was going to play as that false nine. And he started off playing as a false nine. He did quite well and then he got injured. But what have we seen in the last few weeks at City that Phil Foden can play the false nine? You know that Gabriel Jesus can play the false nine. And now they've got Jack Grealish playing the false nine. So, you know, Bernardo Silva is playing in those roles and scoring goals and looking world class. So they've got options. It's just about whether they really want to go and spend you know, big money on a striker like Haaland, you're more likely going to see United, I think, willing to pay that kind of cash. But the fact that they're moving Ferran Torres on and allowing it to happen suggests maybe that they will make a push for a player like Haaland or a big money centre forward. Do you think United could do the same thing by offloading, for example, Anthony Martial? Yeah, this is the issue that I said earlier on about, you know, when players leave, that it's not always a like for like positionally. So don't think if you sell Martial, you're going to go and suddenly get a forward or even if you get rid of Cavani. I think the issues for United are other parts of the pitch. So, you know, fullback is still a question I think needs to be answered for United, both left and right. You know, you need options there. Are you going to stick with Tellez and Delo as your as your alternatives? And then central midfield, I think in a 4-2-2-2, if you lose Pogba or Pogba signs a pre-contract agreement with another with a foreign team in January, you're effectively saying you're going to need a number 10 at some point. You know, are you going to play Bruno up there? Are you going to give 
um, Donny van der Beek a chance? Or are you going to sell Donny van der Beek and then maybe bring in someone that fits the position a little bit more? So these are the kind of mad questions at United because this shows how fractured maybe the project is because there's just too many variables. But at the same time, that's good for Ranić. I think it gives him a chance to assess these players and judge them purely on merit because I think that this squad... The assembling of it hasn't been done on merit. Not really. It really hasn't it's been done on reputation, on contracts, trying to keep people happy, you know. But then obviously when you do that, you don't keep people happy because they get upset. You tell them they're going to play and they don't play. Uh, and it's finding methods, isn't it? So all these players we're chatting about, I do think they're all, they're, there's a big question mark over them. I would not be surprised to see a little bit of an exodus now in the next two or three or four weeks because some of these players just want minutes. And if United can loan them out and find them to get minutes, you might find these Jesse Lingard situations manifesting themselves again like he did at West Ham. Could Phil Jones be one of those players? We will see. Um, you know, Rob, I think... That's not a joke. That's not a joke. It That's could, not a joke. If Phil Jones went to, again, a Watford, somewhere like that, and was brilliant for six months and showed that he had his fitness back, like Phil Jones is only just coming up to like the wrong side of 30. So he's not really, really old. He's not like 36. You know, we seem to be happy to have Cavani at 34, Ronaldo at 36 and not talk about age because of their their stellar and their stellar achievements and what they can still do on a football pitch. Someone like Phil Jones, if, if, if he does well somewhere else, do you then go and buy a defender to sit on the bench? I don't know. Or do you just have Phil Jones back in your squad? So I think with, with Phil Jones, Rangnick the other day talked about Phil Jones openly and said, yeah, I'd quite like to play him. I've followed his career. I know what he used to be able to do, but of course he's had all these injuries. There might be still a future for Phil Jones at Manchester United. We'll wait and see, Rob. We've uh, we've had this episode more or less a review of the year and a look ahead to 2022 in the absence of football because uh, United have had a couple of weeks off with uh, the COVID cases, but we are fingers crossed. We are crossing our fingers that United's game at Newcastle on the 27th, I think it's Monday, the 27th, just after Christmas. Uh, we're hoping that that'll be on. Um, and maybe next week we'll be back before the end of the year and we'll have some football to get our teeth into. But Rob, is there anything you'd like to say before we shoot off? No, I think it's good that we've got some football coming up. And I said, Newcastle is a good opponent for United. You know, I've watched Newcastle quite a bit. I followed them obviously for work with the Eddie Howe situation and where they've been in terms of their project, trying to find a way to win football matches and they're not very good. So as they're not very good, that should be a way for Ranić to exploit that in terms of the holes that run all the way through the colander that is Newcastle United. And it's up to these guys now at Manchester United to prove that they're ready to take the next challenge, which is to re-establish United as a top four team. United are not far away from that statistically, but we do need to see it in performances. So Newcastle is a, is a good challenge for this squad, certainly as they've had a bit of rest. And fingers crossed, they've done all that tactical and video work in the last few weeks, and hopefully that will have a positive impact on results. Hopefully it has been rest as well, and hopefully nobody's been struck too badly by COVID. Uh, we, we are hoping, obviously, that... There's a full, clean bill of health for the players by the time they next play, but we will see. United play Newcastle on the 27th, and then it's it's back to the football, uh, fingers crossed, if everything goes to plan. Uh, COVID depending, cancellations depending, but we will see. The Premier League is going to continue, as far as we know, unless something changes. So uh, happy holidays to you, listener. Um, remember to subscribe to our show. We're on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter. 
You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised Land MU. We're sponsored by Pro Prep, so thanks to them. And thank you very much for listening. We will see you soon.